0: Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT.
1: Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Jamal Magby, and it's time to talk tech. When the Supreme Court reversed Roe versus Wade, it enabled states to further restrict and criminalize abortions. Some states can now prosecute abortion providers, insurers, and in some cases, even patients themselves. Some states also allow civil actions. Increasingly, law enforcement and civil litigants may turn to companies to gain access to data that could help them prove a person sought, received, aided, or provided an abortion. Many types of data can reveal sensitive information about a person's health and healthcare choices. Search queries, browsing history, and the contents of communications, and a person's location data can all reveal such private information despite not typically being thought of as sources of medical or health-related data. Because of this, companies inside and outside of the healthcare sector must be responsible for carefully assessing and limiting the private information they collect, store, and share. Without thoughtful action, a company's data practices may be complicit in sending their customers to prison or exposing them to civil litigation for personal choices that are still legal in the majority of the United States. In the post-Obs era, companies must play an active role in protecting their customers and users' private information. Here to explain what companies can do to protect their users' data is Andy Crawford, Senior Counsel for CDT's Privacy and Data Project. Andy, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, Jamal. Of course. So starting us off, can you give us a lay of the land? It's been a year since uh, Roe was overturned. Where are we?
0: Great great question to start with. So <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, we've considered information our, about our health to be private and personal. And we've got federal laws that reflect that, right? We've got the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Most people know it as HIPAA. And a lot of what that law does, or a big portion of what that law does, is um, promote the privacy of our health information. You know, when you connect with your doctor, when you look up health information, when you track your health on your smartphone, it all feels very private. Um, But uh, today, companies collect information about your health, and sometimes they use it to do things like target ads at you, or sometimes they even share it with other folks like data brokers. So like I said, we've got this federal law HIPAA. And it's got associated regulations and privacy rules associated with it. But that law was enacted back in the 90s. And as times pass, the Internet's grown up, um, tech quickly outpaces the law. And it's become abundantly clear um, that the privacy protections associated with HIPAA fail to cover a huge universe of data um, that now exists that HIPAA just doesn't address because it's held by entities that aren't regulated by HIPAA. Some of, these, some of these entities are things like we use every day, right? Um, things like apps to track our diets. We have apps that help us track our reproductive cycles. We have fitness trackers that track our workouts. They track our BMI. They track our blood pressure and on and on and on. And most of these apps and services, um, they're not provided by our doctor or our insurer. And as a result, they're not covered by HIPAA. And instead, they have... Eh, Uh, not that many privacy protections associated with them. Um, Even though a lot of these records are just as private and literally, in some instances, can be literally the same record um, that has protections when it's held by your doctor, but when it's held by a third-party app on your smartphone, it's going to have very limited protections. So in the wake of the Dobbs decision, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, there's a renewed focus on how health data points, like the ones we've been talking about, could now be used by law enforcement or even private folks uh, seeking to sue or target people for providing abortions and reproductive health care. And that data that folks in those lawsuits and criminal proceedings may seek can often come from companies and the apps that we've been talking about. So one way that we've really been leaning in on and encouraging folks to better protect the data, especially sensitive data about our health, it's for companies to step up and limit the amount of data they collect and eliminate lots of data they already have.
1: So I wanna go back a little bit because you, you talked about health data. And I wanna know, are there different types of, of health data? And I mean, you mentioned the Fitbits and, and everything like that and, and the ways companies collect this, but are there any other ways companies collect this data?
0: Yeah. Another great question, Jamal, and, and yeah, there's there's <laughs> lots of data at play here, and there's lots of different ways to collect, so let's, let's touch on each, um, and we'll do it, we'll, we'll go one at a time. So let's talk about the data first. There's certain data about our health that like everybody understands as health data, right? It's clear, it's things like, can be things like your medical records from your doctor, like the images of x-rays, um, you know, the results of blood work, uh, blood tests. Um, all that data—it's pretty clear that's that's very uh, revealing about our health and it's health data. But there's a whole other set of data that facially might not appear to be health data, but when it's used to make inferences about our health or to try to make determinations about our health, that data becomes very probative health data as well. Think about things like if your location data reveals that you traveled to a specific clinic that specializes in a certain kind of treatment, for say cancer care or reproductive care. That's a pretty uh probative data point into you might be seeking treatment for you know reproductive care or cancer if you're visiting one of those very specific clinics. Um, other things like you know even purchase histories or web searches. If your purchase history reveals uh, you're buying um, you know prenatal vitamins, it's not a big stretch to think oh you know this person might be um, thinking about becoming pregnant or maybe pregnant or. Um, uh, Things like your browsing history, right? If you're searching for specific, you know, medical conditions online, again, um, that could be very probative into you know a condition you may uh, you may have. So, you know, that's a quick overview of the data. You know, there's there's facially like pretty apparent health data, and there's other data that can be really probative into health data. And then it's the second part of your question was well, how do companies collect this? And they do it in a number of ways. Sometimes they have to collect it. Uh, to provide us with the product or service we want, right? If, if I want to purchase a product and I want it delivered to my home, I have to give up and provide that company with certain information like my address and my billing uh, information in order to facilitate that transaction. But um, sometimes companies uh, can go in apps and websites, can go about collecting data um, that's not really directly responsive to the product or service um, somebody's asking for. Um, there's that famous example of right, like the, the flashlight app on your phone that also has access to your, uh, the content of your communications or the, uh, all the photos in your photo album and all the GPS coordinates that your phone has traveled to, right? Like, that's the type of overcollection that, that we really um, uh, encourage folks to not do. It's not necessary to provide the service or the product that the consumer wants or is requested.
1: Well, no, that's helpful. Um, and I will say uh, on the camera app thing, uh, the flashlight is very scary the, the amount of information that that, that they can collect. Uh, so um, this is yeah, this is extremely informative. I, I, I want to ask uh, CDT recently released a set of best practices for protecting you know health data and this types of data. Can you talk a little bit about what they are and what we're what CDT is advising?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we released a report, that's called Data After Jobs, and it details and outlines best practices for companies uh, when they go about collecting, retaining, sharing, selling, and using uh, data about people's reproductive health. Um, It's intended to be a practical guide uh, for decision makers within these companies, for product designers, developers and advocates and frankly concerned customers um, to understand the privacy implications and concerns associated with the data practices of the companies uh, they interact with every day. Um, The main thrust of our document is calling on companies uh, to do better and consider and closely review how they collect user data, how they store that data, and otherwise um, uh, control, or excuse me, process the data and how they ultimately might um, go about sharing that data. Um, We really want folks to consider this, especially in the light of Dobbs, when the collection and retention of information that could be revealing about people's reproductive health could potentially be sought by um, law enforcement in a state that's hostile to reproductive rights and used in an abortion-related prosecution, or some states even allow civil suits to used as, potential evidence in a civil case against somebody for exercising their reproductive choice. So, I won't go into all the elements of our report. I encourage folks to go check it out. It's cool. Uh, it's accessible on our website. But you know, some of the main thrusts uh, that we, we emphasize in our report are things like companies uh, that collect health data should only use it to provide the direct service or product the customer wants. We, right, I already talked about this. Um, We really discourage companies from using data to create behavioral profiles about their users and then potentially sharing or selling those for secondary purposes. Whenever possible, we really encourage folks to use encrypted, uh, to encrypt the data whenever that's possible. So companies encrypt the data so that it's really only the customer, um, the user that has access to their sensitive health information. Uh, another way to empower customers and users is that people should have access to their data. They should be able to make clerical corrections to it. They should be able to delete it uh, from companies if they no longer want the company to have that data. Um, companies should really only keep this data for a limited time. They really have to tighten up their retention periods. Once it's no longer once the data is no longer needed for the product or service the customer has requested, companies should no longer keep that data. Um, Whenever possible, companies should anonymize location data associated with sensitive locations. This can include things like hospitals, clinics, but also uh, things like uh, places of worship. Um, Two other quick things. Um, Companies should tell users when law enforcement seeks their data and they've turned it over to law enforcement. And companies should offer uh, and encourage and make uh, ephemeral types of messaging, encrypted messaging, um, the default uh, the 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 default settings um, so that um, the contents and folks communications are kept private as well. Like I said, there's a lot more in the document. I just rambled through uh, a lot of the points, but there there's much more in there, too.
1: Oh, this is all helpful. and and it and it begs the question, how much of this data should companies be collecting? I mean, I, I think we all understand there's a certain amount you need um, to ensure that. An app or product gives you what you would like from it, but do they really need all of this data? And how should they be going about protecting the data that they do collect?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but really they <laughs> should be frankly focused on the data that's necessary necessary to provide the product or service that the, the customer has requested. Outside of that, um, you get into, you know, secondary and tertiary uses of data that aren't um, potentially even known to the customer, um, you could get into harmful sharing uh, or harmful practices when you share data that that really um, not only can you know irk customers when they subsequently learn, wait, you shared my data with who uh, for what reason? But they can actually, you know, like I said, in the in the post DOBs world, a lot of this data could potentially be um, used by criminal um, prosecutors or even civil litigants. Uh, and and um, uh, folks should really um, focus on, folks in these companies should really focus on uh, limiting the data that they collect so that they limit the exposure um, that they potentially create for law enforcement or civil litigants to come asking for that data. When, when companies do have to collect this data, um, they should protect it, right? They should encrypt it. Um, they should have um, security measures in place um, that, that make it so that access to the data is limited to only folks in the companies that need to know. Um, and companies, frankly, should um, be constantly uh, mapping out and um, scoping the data that they do have and consistently going through it and deleting all the data that's no longer necessary. So let me ask,
1: why do they collect all of this? Uh, I, some would call it unnecessary data. Like if you're, uh, if you're not providing any service that requires lo- location data, why does a company feel like they need that location data?
0: Sure. I mean, there can be a number of reasons, uh, and there's a host of different business models that that would dictate, you know, why you might want that. Sometimes um, having extra data is helpful for companies as they um, develop new products or new features, um, and those extra data points can help with with future product development. Um, sometimes um, you need to collect data um, because you have, you know, certain industries are uh, heavily regulated already. Um, things like financial tech. Um, Or, you know, um, tech that uh, involves, um, that might uh, involve children or, you know, uh, those industries um, have uh, certain reporting requirements that require certain data to be kept and maintained uh, for those, you know, for those legal reasons. Um, But sometimes companies uh, collect data because they want to create behavioral profiles about people that they can then better target ads at them. Um, or they might want to collect the data because it's valuable to sell. Um, you know, you can, you know, there's a market out there for third-party data brokers to not only um, collect data and, and build profiles about folks, but then turn around and offer those profiles to uh, advertisers to, to potentially target um, and uh, identify new markets. Well, well, on that scary note, um, is there anything
1: that the government can or, or, or should be doing to, to, you know, force companies to protect or, or or persuade companies, I should say, to protect this this health data?
0: Yeah, so we've seen lots of efforts. Um, I'll focus on the federal level. Um, we've got, you know, on the Hill in Congress, we we've seen the introduction of you know um, health specific uh, privacy bills, um, especially in the wake of Dobbs, bills like my Body, My Data Act that was reintroduced uh, in this year uh, and that CDT has has endorsed. Um, these like bills like this um, help um, protect the privacy of health data by limiting how long companies can keep uh, reproductive health data, how they can use it, how they collect it, um, and providing clear ways for consumers uh, to access and delete it. So a lot of the same... Um, contours and and provisions that I talked about in our Data After Jobs report, um, there's a lot of overlap with the approaches that you see in a bill like My Body, My Data. Um, More generally speaking, you know, CDT has long advocated for comprehensive federal privacy legislation. Um, So not just a bill that focuses on health data, but frankly, a bill that focuses on all data uh, and creates baseline uh, protections um, for all consumer data. You know, we saw last Congress, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, uh, actually known as ADPA. um, CDT endorsed uh, the last version of that bill that was introduced in the uh, last Congress. Uh, We're waiting to see if it's reintroduced this Congress uh, and we'll see what uh, potential changes they've made to the bill. But a lot of what that, the previous iteration of that bill did, Um, was raise baseline privacy protections for a host of data, including sensitive data sets like health. um, That really would have gone a long way to to better protect and keep that data private. Outside of legislative efforts, we've seen um, some of the federal agencies also taking action in this space. Um, Agencies like um, Health Health and Human Services, um, they recently put out a uh, notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, an NPRM, uh, to make amendments to HIPAA's privacy rule to limit uh, some potential disclosures to law enforcement in the wake of Dobbs, along the lines of um, you know some of those situations and scenarios that I've been talking about earlier, and we've seen the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, uh, take action as well. Um, recently, they put out um, a notice of rulemaking around um, their health breach notification rule, and we've seen them take actions, um, uh, enforcement actions earlier this year and last year. Uh, around um, inappropriate uh, uses of, of health data, both um, misrepresentations, um, but also um, utilizing some of the jurisdictions they have under the health breach notification rule. Um, so, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of action uh, at the government level. Um, frankly, I'd like to see more at the legislative level, but in the interim, you're seeing the executive agencies use their existing authorities. Uh, to do what they can to better protect uh, consumer health data, and frankly, um, you know, we'd also like to see um, the private sector do more uh, as we wait. Uh, they've done some, but there's there's plenty more that, that companies can be doing now as we wait for um, both you know executive agencies and also um, federal legislative efforts.
1: Or, or they can also read. Our recent report, our recent best practices report. Oh, great ideas. And, <laughs> and get some ideas from there.
0: Uh, Andy, before I let you go, any final thoughts? Uh, I, I think I'll just kind of end where I just left off. There, there's a lot of work still to do. Um, we need um, updated uh, federal privacy laws, be it sector specific or comprehensive. Uh, we, we need to see our laws catch up with tech. Um, as we wait, uh, we need to continue to see federal agencies utilizing their existing authorities to to do what they can to keep folks' health data private. And like I said, we really need to see companies continue to step up. Uh, we've seen some. Uh, we need to see more, uh, and we need to see companies um, embrace the principles that you know are included in in our Data After Dobbs report, for instance.
1: Well, Andy, as always, it's been a pleasure having you, and thank you so yeah. much for joining us here today.
0: Absolutely, thanks, Jamal.
1: So for all for all our listeners to keep up with the work that CDT's policy teams are doing, please visit us at cdt.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodon at and LinkedIn at Send Tech. I'm Jamal Magby and thank you for talking tech. Hi, I'm Ridley Shetty. I work on the privacy and data project here at CDT. Recently, we've been advocating for stronger federal and state guidance and regulations against consumer data harms that limit economic opportunity. You can support this and all we do here at CDT by going to cdt.org techtalk tech talk and donating. Every donation matters. Thank you for enhancing civil rights and civil liberties in the digital age.